Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, team. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Good morning. It is good to see you, and I am glad that you are here today. Uh, listen, you heard earlier with all the announcements that are going on, we are in a transition period just in our culture. School is about to get rolling. A lot of you guys might be heading back to uh, school in the next coming, really the next coming seven days, if not a couple days after that. But it's not just the kids who go back. I mean, there's different rhythms for everybody in the city. So as we're walking into this new area, I thought it'd be appropriate for us just to take some time to pray. To pray for our, not just our schools, but for our teachers, for our students, for the administrations of these schools, for our parents, as we all walk into a brand new school year. So do this for me, just buy your heads and close your eyes if you would. <clears throat> and for just a moment, I would just want to kind of, maybe just for you to go ahead and get in your mind the different people who are going to be walking into a new season this next year. It might be you, it might be your kids. You might have neighbors or friends who are teachers uh, so and just kind of bring all of those to mind and let's lift them up before the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for yet another year of schooling, for the opportunity for our students to learn and to grow. Father, these are blessings that, that not all kids around the world have and we are grateful for the opportunities that we have for our students to, to grow up, to become the young men and the young women that you want them to be. But Lord, more than anything, we would love for your hand to be upon all of our schools, our parents, our teachers, our, our, our kids, Lord, as they move into this brand new school year. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray for all of our children, from whatever ages that they are, Lord, as they, they walk into new classrooms, as they make new friendships, Lord, would you be the one to pour your life into them, Lord, to help them to grow intellectually, but more than that, Father, just to grow up as people, Lord, I pray a blessing upon their friendships. Lord, that you would surround them with the people who can encourage them to follow after you. But Lord, I also pray that you would make them beacons of your life, Father, even young as they may be, Lord, that as they walk into places where not everyone will follow after you, would you send them out as your salt and your light in this world? Lord, could they uh, see, uh, could other people see you through them as you send them into middle schools and high schools and elementary schools all across our city? Lord, we pray blessings upon all of our children. Lord, we want to lift up all of our teachers. Lord, as they march into new classrooms with new kids, Father, would you give them favor? Father, would you give them the ability to pour well into all of these students? Lord, we lift up all of our brothers and sisters who are believing teachers who may not be allowed to, to out loud proclaim your name, but Father, through their actions, through their influence, Lord, could you use them to encourage all of their students this year? Could you give them opportunities to share your name? Uh, Father, could you literally pour your love and your life into students who, who may not feel that any other place? Father, would you bless all of our teachers as they walk into a new year? Father, I pray for parents, uh, for parents, some of whom are sending their kids to a school for the very first time, or maybe for those who are sending them off to college, Lord, and they're dealing with all of the, the pain, the sorrow, the joy, the excitement all mingled together. Lord, as maybe they're going into high school or into new areas for the first time, Lord, would you calm their hearts? Uh, Lord, as you've used them powerfully to, to raise up their children, would you give us confidence as we send them into this new stage of their life? But Father, we ask a blessing upon them as well. 
And Lord, Father, for the administrations, so Lord, for, for Dr. Lewis Brooks as the school superintendent, for so many others over our, our county, our principals, Lord, all the administrations, all the different people who will have charge of our students for so many hours over the course of the next year. Lord, would you give wisdom? Would you give grace? Uh, Lord, would you just give favor in your name to create environments where our students are not only safe, but grow in the way that you would have them to grow? Lord, we are privileged with the children that you provide for us. But Lord, more than anything, we want them to grow up in you. And so would you bless all of these schools? Would you bless those who will be learning at home as as homeschoolers? Bless our parents. Bless our kids. Father, bless all of these teachers as we walk into a brand new year. Lord, we will give you all the praise for it. But we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And in his name, we all said... Amen. 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 Hey, grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning as we round out our series studying the book of Daniel. If you're new here, welcome. We've been spent all this summer studying the book of Daniel, and we've covered almost the entire book. There's only a couple chapters we weren't able to hit. Hopefully, you'll go back and read those chapters. Now, armed with hopefully more information, understanding, and how to understand those chapters. But we're going to round out what is happening with Daniel in Daniel chapter 10, starting at verse 1 in just a second. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. As you guys are turning there, I wonder uh, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon. Everybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Yes, yes, yes. A few of you guys, lots of you guys. Uh, how many of you have seen a picture of the Grand Canyon? Yes, most of you. If you have not, it's time to learn a few things. All right, so uh, that is a big thing, right? It's a big thing in America to see the Grand Canyon. If you've never had a chance to do so, I hope that sometime in your lifetime, maybe that you can. I remember years ago, I got the opportunity to go. Uh, and look, I knew what the Grand Canyon looked like. I've seen the pictures. You've seen the pictures. I knew what to expect when I got to the Grand Canyon. It's a canyon and it's grand. It's big, right? It's a huge, massive Structure. I understood this intellectually, but when you actually get to the Grand Canyon, I was not prepared for how overwhelming this experience would be. Even when you know what it's going to be, when you've just seen a a two-dimensional picture, to walk up to the edge and to see this sprawling vista as far as the eye can see, and you try to wrap your mind around the size of this geologic structure, it is overwhelming. You, you cannot feel grand in yourself when you stand in the presence of the Grand Canyon. It's just too big. It dwarfs you. You recognize just how small you are in the grand scheme of things. It was overwhelming. But it was also joyful. Because as you stand there at the edge of this incredible, impressive structure, I recognize that I know the God who formed that by his hand. The God who, who puts all of these things in motion, who understands that who is older than this is. I knew the God who is even grander than the Grand Canyon. And there brings a joy in the presence of such grandeur as well. And that's a little bit akin to the experience that Daniel is going to have in this final chapter that we're going to look at. And it's an experience he's asking you into as well. If you've been with us all this summer, we've been walking with the life of Daniel. Daniel was stolen from his home in Israel when he was a teenager, and he has been living his entire life in Babylon. Uh, But now, almost 70, 80 years later, uh, 
he finds himself in the, in the middle of a different empire, same city that is now the Persian Empire instead of the Babylonian Empire. And he is nearing the end of his life. And throughout this whole life, the Lord has blessed him even in captivity. But listen to what it says, Daniel chapter 10, 10 starting in verse 1. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, and actually let's just pause right there at that comma because we need to kind of, kind of get our, 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 hang, our hands around, our bearing on the setting for just a moment. For many of us, as we read names like this and names of, uh, of days and times and kings, they, they just kind of float past us. We don't have a frame of reference, but hopefully now you've got a little bit of a frame of reference for what it means for him to be in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. This is three years from where we were last week. This is at the end of Daniel's sojourn in Babylon. All the Babylonian kings are gone. And now Cyrus has come to rule the king of Persia. He's left Darius the Mede in charge of the city and the area. But it's Cyrus who is in control. And so Daniel has been here for almost 70 years But knowing that tells us something very important. At this point in Daniel's life, the first wave of exiles has already returned to Israel. You see, the Persians had a different policy when it came to conquered peoples. The Babylonians wanted to discombobulate everybody and moved everybody around. The Persians would say, no, 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 no. Send everybody home. Let everybody go back to their own homeland. And so true to God's word, after they've been in captivity, many of the Israelites have gone home. Even as Daniel is writing this, he knows that there are people rebuilding Jerusalem as he writes. Which begs the question, why didn't he go home? Why why wouldn't Daniel go back with everybody else? Well, he's upwards of 80 to 90 years old. This would have been an incredibly hard journey to get there. And once he got there, he would not be going home. That home was destroyed. It all has to be rebuilt now. It's going to be a hard task of rebuilding the city. He would not be going home to anything that he would recognize 70 to 80 years later. And so, no, he is now praying for his people who are following God's command to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. But it also says here, it's on the 24th day of the first month. What is happening here is that there are festivals going on. It's the festival of Passover for the Jews. We, we know about that a little bit from, from Egypt, and we, we see that now in, in multiple different ways. But uh, it's typically a festival of celebration. People would anoint themselves with oil. There would, there would be a lot of feasting. There's a lot of joy, but Daniel is not joyful. It says, I'm not feasting. Instead, I'm fasting. I'm not anointing myself with oil like everybody else would. Instead, I am mourning. Last week, we talked about his confession for his people. And even three years later, he is still praying and confessing, weeping for his people. So he is praying on behalf of his people. And in the middle of that, he gets a vision. And so let's see now what happens to him. Let's pick back up that middle of verse 2. He says, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. I didn't anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. 
Verse 4, and on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and I was mute. And behold, one of the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke and I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having like the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. He said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Stop right there. In chapter 10, we don't get the vision proper. That's what's going to follow in chapters 11 and 12. And this is the final vision that Daniel is going to receive. It's a very interesting vision and you can read it. There's a lot of technical details, but we're not going to get into all of those. But suffice it to say, it is a vision of the end. Some of the things that are described are going to happen somewhere around the second century BC. And then others are going to be for the end of time. But the upshot is this. If you look at this entire vision, what it's going to tell you is that God's people are going to be persecuted. Just like they've been persecuted all throughout Daniel's life, they are going to be conquered and persecuted by the kingdoms of this world. But in the end, God will rise up, vindicate his people, save his people, and they will live in the kingdom of God forever. This is what Daniel has known his entire life. That while outwardly it might look like the kingdom of this world are in control, while the powers of this world are in control, there is a greater power. There is a greater God who is sovereign and steadfast over all of human history. And that is where Daniel has put his faith and his trust. And so even if he doesn't understand all of the details of the vision in the same way that we still don't understand all the details of the vision, he understands the full message. 
that even when God's people are persecuted, God is always still in control. And in the end, his kingdom will come. You can put a period on it. You can bank on it. It is going to happen regardless of what it looks like on the outside. But instead of getting lost in all those details in chapters 11 and 12, I think there's three observations right here in chapter 10 that are very important for us today. The first one is this. There's an unseen spiritual world all around us. There is an unseen spiritual world all around us. What we see here in chapter 10 is not the vision proper. This is happening in real time. He's not going into a trance. Daniel finds himself at the Tigris River. There's some other people with him and he gets this vision of a man. He is actually able to see this supernatural being. But that being is having impact on him and everybody around him. Even though the other people around couldn't see him, they felt it and they flee in terror. But Daniel is seeing this person in his world. It is a reminder that there's a spiritual world all around us. How do you think about the realm where God lives? Where is it? I mean, typically when we talk about these things, we talk about heaven. Where is heaven? Up there, right? Where is hell? Down there, right? And where is heaven? When we think about heaven, we think about it way off in the future. It's not here. It's up there, down there. It's over there in the future. What this is reminding of us is like, no, 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 no. There's a spiritual world that surrounds us right now. He isn't up there. He's not avoiding down there. He's not just way off in your future. He is here. That world is present here, interacting with us. This spiritual world that we live in is a world of right here and right now. And what Daniel is getting is he's getting a glimpse into that world. He's beginning to see the things that though we can't normally see them are all around him. There's a few different things that he sees. First off, he sees this man clothed in linen. Now, this is an interesting figure. We don't really know who it is. He is not named. He's got this this glorious appearance that is overwhelming for Daniel. Some people believe that this is Gabriel. He was mentioned in the last chapter, an angel. Uh, but he seems to be more glorious than Daniel, than Gabriel was. Uh, it's mentioned repeatedly in the chapter that he's got the appearance of, uh, of, of a, a children of man. So a human figure. Some people think that there's t- actually two figures. We've got an angel and then this, this strange human figure that helps him out. Other people say that this is actually a theophany. This is, a, this is God revealing himself in a mediating form, much like we saw in the, the lion, not lion's den, but the, um, uh, the fiery furnace where Jesus shows up and ministers right there to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here again is Jesus Christ. We don't actually know, but we, know, we do know for a fact this is a representative of God himself speaking the words of God himself. And then we get mention of Michael. You might have heard of Michael the archangel before. Uh, this is actually the first place in the Bible where he is mentioned. The first place in the Old Testament. He's actually only mentioned in four places in the Old Testament. But he is spoken of as a prince of angels. All right, so he is the prince of Israel who's given charge and kind of to defend the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Against him are going to be different princes, if you will. There's a prince of Persia. There's a prince of Greece, which that empire hasn't even come along yet. And so we're seeing some weird time things going on as well in this realm. But there's been some sort of a fight. 
This man clothed in linen has been fighting alongside Michael and they've been fighting against the princes of Persia. And so all of this has been happening, even though Daniel hasn't been able to see it. All of this is happening. It is letting us know that there is a spiritual world that is right here. It is a part of our world, even if we can't see it. And this is not the only place we get glimpses into that world. Let me show you a couple more. Here's 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Uh, this is a story about Elijah. It's a story that Daniel would have known well. It says this, when the servant of the man of God, that's Elijah, rose er, Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha wakes up one morning to find that there is a foreign army all encamped around his tiny city and his servant completely freaks out. Elisha is not freaking out. Why? He says, well, our guys are more than their guys. How do you know that? And when he finally gets his vision lifted, this servant sees that there are angelic beings surrounding that entire army. This is why Elisha is not afraid at all. Everybody else can't see it, but that's really happening in real time. Let me show you another one. Uh, this, is in cha- this is in Luke, I believe, uh, chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. It says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus has sent out 72 disciples to go preach, heal, and cast out demons in his name. And they go do that without Jesus. And they come back saying, Jesus, this is incredible. Supernatural beings are responding to your name through us. This is amazing. And here's what Jesus says in response. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He saw something that nobody else saw. Satan being cast down yet again. He's going to have forced to, to roam on the earth alone because the kingdom of God is now coming. But nobody else saw it. But because of the actions of these people, Jesus is seeing something more. And then let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verses 52 through 54. Jesus is being arrested right before his crucifixion. And it says, then Jesus says to him, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Don't you think that I can't appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus is about to be arrested by the Romans and Peter and the guys resort to the power that seems most natural to them, human violence. They grab a sword. He's he's trying to to save Jesus. And Jesus, just stop, stop. I can snap my fingers and 12 legions of angels, glorious like the one you're reading about here, could sweep in in an instant. And Jesus says, but that's, follow the Lord. Follow what the Father says. These are just glimpses of showing that this spiritual world is not way off in some far off land or deep in our future or way far away. These are things that are happening right here amongst us. Now, if that seems weird to you and a little bit far-fetched because we're 21st century Western people and we say, Adam, seriously, you're still believing in angels and demons like in the 21st century? I thought we got rid of all that. Please understand, you and I believe in things that we can't see as a matter of course. 
It is axiomatic that you and I understand that there are things in our world that exist that you and I cannot see. X-rays, gamma rays, the infrared spectrum. We know all about multiple things that are happening that are around us that you and I cannot see with the naked eye. If you've been looking at the web telescope pictures, they're using infrared arrays and they're having to color them after the fact to show us what is actually out there. But it's using apparatus that you and I don't physically have. And we do not doubt it for a second that there are things in this world that can affect us that you and I cannot see. The Lord is showing us there is a spiritual world all around us. Here's the second thing. That spiritual world is vast and overwhelming. That spiritual world is vast and overwhelming. What do we think about when we hear about this world? We'll hear about all of these crazy angelic beings, or these demonic beings, or this spiritual world that's around us. I think for many of us, it's interesting. That's why people like reading Revelation. We go, ooh, Revelation. What's going to happen in there? there? There's eyes and trumpets and seals and all these things. What does that mean? That's interesting. What is, what's going on there? For many of us, when it comes to this unseen world, it is interesting. It's intriguing. That is not the reaction that Daniel has. When Daniel finds himself in the presence of this angelic being, he immediately falls down. He can't, he can't stand in the presence of it. It's going to be three different times. Hang on, hang on, I'll get there. Hang on, hang on. He's got to have angelic help just to get here on his hands and knees. <sighs> Until finally, hang on, hang on, I got it, I'll get there, I'll get there. And finally, he gets helped up again by the angel. He's got to have more help just, just to get here where he's kind of trembling on his hands and knees. That's the kind of angelic presence he's in the presence of. It is vast And overwhelming. Is that how we think about angels in the spiritual realm? Look at how he describes them here. Go go to verses 5 and 6 and and notice how these beings are described. In verse 5 it says this. He says, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. All right, we're getting just a waterfall of imagery here. He's just searching for something to describe what he is seeing. He first talks about beryl. That's a, it's a translucent mineral, typically very colorful. So something very hard, but see-through, but colorful. So it's got weight. It's sitting there in front of them, but it is incredibly bright. His face is like lightning. So once you think about the white hot intensity of lightning, when it crackles out of nowhere, it is just right there in his face. The eyes are like flaming torches. And so you've got that, that fire of like looking deep into a fire. You've got that, that, that the light that is piercing but also the heat that is coming from that. And then his arms or legs are like burnished bronze, like the gleam coming off of burnished metal. Once you think about driving down 280, when the light hits all of those cars at just the right angle and they all shine directly in your face all at once and you're having to turn away and try to get the the sun visor down to, to even just look at it. All of this is happening at once in front of him and it's overwhelming. On top of all that, his sound, his voice is like the sound of a multitude. I kept trying to figure out what this would sound like. I initially thought about like what it sounds like at a football game, right? When you go to Bryant Denny or Jordan Hare and you hear like, you know, tens of thousands of people all cheering in unison. But 
but that seems almost like too, too happy, too joyous. And also they're not yelling at me, right? That would be different if a hundred thousand people spoke at you. So let's think about a different image. I want you to imagine being about 20 feet away from a jet engine at full blast. I want you to imagine a jet engine at full blast and you're about 20 feet away. Now imagine that the jet engine is alive and wants to talk to you. That's an angel, okay? That's what's happening here. Imagine if that's going on. You've got this bright, gleaming being. He can't really get his hands around. And when he speaks, he just collapses. He can't handle it. That's what it's like to be in the presence of the divine. This is what it's like to be in a supernatural presence. It is overwhelming what is happening here. It's incredible. And it's humbling. When you and I find ourselves in the presence of these beings, there's no pride left. You can't pride yourself on your money or your power or your appearance or your influence or your accomplishments or anything that you've done. In the presence of that kind of divinity, it's like being in front of the Grand Canyon. It just dwarfs you in comparison. It is vast and overwhelming. And here's the third thing. Our prayers affect that world. Our prayers affect that world. Now, does that sound just ludicrous? Knowing how powerful these beings are, knowing how vast it is, knowing how small we are, how in the world can that possibly be true? But kick over to verse 12 and notice what it says. In verse 12, it says this, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. I have come because of your words. That's ludicrous. What in the world does Daniel have to offer? What what power does he have compared to these kind of beings? And this angel says, no, 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 no. I came because of you. I came because three weeks ago you prayed a prayer because you set your heart to understand because you humbled yourself before the Lord because you lifted up a prayer to the God of the universe. He sent me immediately. I have come because of your words. Because you and I are connected to the God who controls everything. The Lord says this. I'm I'm actually going to use you, not just to affect the world that you can see, but I'm going to use you to affect the world that you can't see. You see, that world can affect you, but you also can affect it. You see, it's possible for things that are invisible that you and I don't fully see to have impact. It's possible for invisible things to impact us. It's also true vice versa. Think about those x-rays for just a second. I actually went and got an x-ray this week. Hadn't had one in a while. Uh, And it's interesting, just the process of getting an x-ray, right? I went in and they said, hey, you're lay on this thing. They brought a a machine over. uh, And then the lady went behind a wall and then her, and then they came back around the wall and then they let me go. That was it. I didn't see anything. I did not feel anything. I heard a buzz. That's it. It's all hurt. And then I left. Here's what I know to be true. They shot an x-ray through my body that can actually create an image that we can look at. I did not see it. I did not feel it. And yet it happened. But imagine if we didn't understand x-rays and we just left the machine on all the time. We just left the whole thing on and just stayed on 24-7. And I just walked in there and they just said, let me put it on there. Yeah, it'll fix itself. And that technician is in there. We just left it on the whole time. You know what would happen. 
we wouldn't have felt anything. We wouldn't have seen anything. And yet that would have been a fatal encounter. And that later on, that would have had profound and terrifying effects on both of us. Because things that we can't see actually can have impact on you. Here's the other thing. Things that you can't see, like your prayers, actually can have impact in that world. It has impact in this world and in that world. This is what the Lord is trying to reveal to us through Daniel chapter 10. These aren't simply visions that he gets to see. He is impacting that world and that world is impacting him. And we actually see this all throughout scripture as well. Let me show you a couple more of these here. Here's Mark 9, 27, look, or, or 29 rather. Look what it says. It says, and Jesus said to them, this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. His disciples, they could cast out demons every now and then. They get to one and they can't cast it out. Jesus comes in and casts it out. And they immediately go, what did we do wrong? Like, I thought we, I thought we knew, knew what to do. What, what did we do wrong? And Jesus says, well, this kind can only come out by prayer. To which they replied, there are kinds? Wait, there are kinds of demons? You didn't tell us that. What do you mean there are kinds of Can you tell us about the kinds of demons? He's asking, no, don't worry about it. Because this kind just comes out by prayer. Just pray. What? Jesus just says, pray. That's all you got to do. You're you're walking in my power. Just pray. Your prayers can have this kind of impact. What about Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8? Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. We sang this last week, if you're here with us. We sang this in a song. So we're asking, seeking, knocking at the door. Lord, bring revival. Jesus is giving us an invitation. He says, when you pray, when you ask and seek and knock, it will have results. It has impact both in this world and in the spiritual world as well because they are linked. And so I am inviting you to pray. Probably the best example we have comes in Ephesians chapter 6. We looked at this last uh, last year, if you were with us. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul will say this, starting in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you hear him saying the same thing? He says there are heavenly places and we are in conflict. Skip down to verse 18. He tells us what to do. You put on the armor of God and praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. He says, how do we wage this war? Not with human violence, not with human power, not even with human influence. We wage it by prayer. Something that is invisible and yet has tangible Results. It is possible for us to have impact on that world in the same way that that world has impact on us. But some of us might say, yeah, but Adam, then then how come my prayers don't work? I pray. I pray a lot. How come my prayers don't work? Well, there's lots of answers to that, but I find something interesting in chapters 9 and 10 of Daniel. If you're here with us last week in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prays. And guess what happens? On the day that he prays, he gets an angelic response. On the same day that he began praying, an angel shows up with an answer. The very next chapter, our chapter, chapter 10, Daniel prays. You know how long it takes to get a response? Three weeks. Three weeks. What happened to FedEx? What's going on here? 
I, I, I mean, don't, is your email down? Like, what happened? Like, what's, what's wrong with the tower? How come I can't get my instant response? Well, he says, well, guess what? There was a war in the heavenlies. You guys couldn't see, but I've been fighting for three weeks. I've been trying to get to you this entire time. There are sometimes things you and I do not understand about why God does what he does. But do not assume that simply because you do not understand, that prayer does not work. Do not let the enemy convince you that prayer does not work simply because you do not see what it's doing. You say, well, Adam, listen, this is all great and very interesting, but here's the deal. That may be true for Daniel. It's just not true for me. Adam, God might might listen to your prayers and maybe listen to Daniel's prayers or somebody else's prayers, but I just don't think he's going to do that for me. Average Joe believer, I just don't believe he's going to do that. And actually, I, I believe that he will. Look at verse 19. Look what it says here. In verse 19, the angel speaks to him. He's helped him three different times just to stand up. And he says this. He says, oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. Oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. He strengthens Daniel. He says, hey, Daniel, I didn't come here to scare you. I didn't come here to, 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 to mess you up. I, I came to give you exactly what you were looking for. And so he strengthens him. He comes to give him this thing. Why? He says, you're greatly loved. You're greatly loved. He says it twice in this chapter, once in the chapter before. You are a man greatly loved and so are you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He says, I love you. Because of the great love with which he loved us is what it says in Ephesians 2. God loves you. And then he says, fear not. You don't have to fear. Why? Because in 1 John, it tells us that perfect love casts out fear. When you understand the gracious love of God who sends his son, Jesus Christ, to love us, not because we're good enough, but even when we aren't, to give us grace, not just what we deserve, but what we don't deserve. He gives us grace. You have perfect love, which casts out fear. I don't have to be afraid of the Lord anymore. Why? Because he loves me. He has adopted me. And he says, peace be with you. This is the shalom of God. Go back to Ephesians 2, where he says, Jesus Christ is our peace. He's our reconciliation. I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Not through what I have done, but through what he has done. I have perfect peace, shalom, righteousness, wholeness in him. So be strong and of good courage. We read it in Ephesians chapter 6. So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not in your power or my power, not in our intellect or our abilities, but in the power of God himself. These are all the same promises that he gives to you. The same thing he says to Daniel. He said all of these things to us in Jesus Christ. He says, I am inviting you to pray. I am inviting you to join in to what God is doing. I know from the outside, it looks like the world is winning. I know from the outside, it looks like chaos. From the outside, it looks like change. Everybody looking at you, Daniel, is just going to see a guy from a conquered people, a guy who got stolen from his home and he stayed here so long, he doesn't even have a strength to get back. It looks like these empires are winning. And yet through all of these empires, it is still Daniel who keeps standing. When the empires come and go, Daniel still stands, not because he's so great, because of the God in whom he has put his faith. Contrary to all appearances to the, on the outside, when you look at the spiritual reality, he has put his trust, his faith in the only one who can make him steadfast. Why? Because he is sovereign and steadfast. So if this be the case, 
We don't need to get lost in all of the details of chapters 11 and 12. Instead, could we do this? Go back to verse 12 and notice what it says. The angel said to me, fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Three things I would encourage for us today. The first one is this, that we would set our hearts to understand. Have you set your heart to understand the truth of these things? Again, that doesn't mean we try to figure out all of the prophecies and understand all the intricacies of what is going on. Daniel didn't even get all that. No one has been given all of that. Don't get lost in extraneous details. Instead, have you set your heart to discern what the will of God is? That which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Have you set your heart to see the real reality of what's going on? Not simply what looks, it looks like, what it looks like on the outside, but have you looked beyond that with the spiritual sight that God gives to say, wait a minute, there's a God who rules and a God who reigns. And even though this world says it's the only thing that matters, no, I see the spiritual truth of the only one who truly matters and I will build my life on him. Have we set our hearts to understand? Do you Dwell on him. Do you listen to him? This is why we encourage you not simply to come on Sundays, but to study God's word day in and day out. To come to these women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and double university and community groups so we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. Have you set your heart to understand? Remember, Daniel had to pray for three weeks. Do do we get lost if God doesn't answer in a day, a couple days, a week? Daniel's in for the long haul. Have we set our hearts to understand? Here's the second thing. Do we humble ourselves? Daniel humbled himself. He didn't simply set his heart to understand. He was fasting. He was mourning. He gave up things. He says, no, God is worth more than than just the current party. He's worth more than just my current comfort or pleasure. I'm going to humble myself in the presence of the Lord. I I wonder if if you and I really come in humility when when we pray. Think about the last time we prayed. We prayed just a few minutes ago. When we pray, do we, do we just kind of traipse in and we just kind of run in? Hi, God. And we just kind of run in to talk to him. Or do you and I recognize that when we pray, we are being invited into the very throne room of God himself? Literally, through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, we are being ushered into the very holy of holies. We're taken into a place much like what Daniel is seeing here. That kind of grandeur and awe and glory of God. There's no pride left when you walk into a place like that. We simply see the joy and the majesty of God himself. Have we humbled ourselves before the Lord? Or do we just come in with a list of demands? Do we come in with just our list of questions? Do we just come in with all of our emotions completely and totally unchecked? He welcomes those emotions, but do we also also recognize him? Have we humbled ourselves before him? And then here's the third thing. We should pray. That's the invitation. It's to pray. And this is an invitation not to a few of us. It's to all of us, to any who have put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's not restricting anybody. He says, any of you who have put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, I am inviting you to pray. You too can have this kind of power and influence in the heavenly realms, not because you or I are so great or because of the things that we have done, but simply because God has given us the privilege. And I wonder why many, so many of us, we don't even take advantage of it. That we're invited into the very throne room, into the very heart of God himself. And he says, I want to involve you in my work in this world. 
Do you want to see change in this world? Then we should pray. Do you want to see change in this church? Then we should pray. Do you want to see change in yourself? Then we need to pray. Of course, there are things to do, but you can't get beyond that. It's the first and always activity that we must do, which is why we are trying to learn how to be a praying church more than we ever have been before. We started a prayer team a few months ago. Do you realize that right now, right now at this moment, there are people on the prayer team praying for you. They're sitting in this worship service. I won't out them, but they're here. Don't look around, right? They're, they're praying for you. And thank you for being the ones who are here today praying for us. There'll be some people here next service to pray for that. Every single service we have, we've got people praying over this room. Why is that important? Because we are asking the Lord to move and power amongst us, to change us, to be more like him, that we would be a part of his kingdom, accomplishing his will. And that does not happen apart from prayer. What would happen when we all commit ourselves to seek after the Lord in understanding, to humble ourselves and to pray more than we ever have before, it will have impact far beyond anything you can fully see. We need some of you, by the way, to be on our prayer team. We need to triple the size of our prayer team and more. If you want to be a part of that prayer team, it's very simple. All you have to do is pray. It's very simple. We would love to help you with that. All you got to do is stop by over at Connections and just say, hey, I would love to be a part of the prayer team. We'll get connected with you and let you know, get you on the list along with the rest of us. We would love for you to join with us. But if we want to see change, it will not come apart from prayer. But don't underestimate it. When you see the world and all of its power, when you see in the world and all of its chaos, when you see the world and all of its change, Just remember that there's a God who is sovereign and steadfast over all of it. And when you and I find ourselves in him, we will never be shaken. Amen. Amen. So bow your heads and close your eyes if you will. Just a moment, the worship team is going to come up and we're going to pray powerfully. We're going to pray joyfully. We're going to pray excitedly. We have an opportunity even now to declare that our God is sovereign over all of the powers in this universe. That our God will never be overcome. And that includes all the things that you are now facing. All the problems that you came in here with. All of the fears that you have. All the things outside those doors that you were concerned about. That you don't have control over. I don't have that control either. You don't. But there's a God who is sovereign and steadfast over all of it. And he is inviting you and I to join him in what he is doing. Why would we not pray? Why would we not humble our hearts this morning and boldly walk into the very throne room of God? Because we've been invited there to be strengthened by God himself, by his spirit in our inner being. And find a willing ear to hear us. And yes, to move as you and I pray according to his will. And so what's he asking you to pray about this morning? What's he asking you to pray about today? Let us lift up those very specific prayers. Let us ask the Lord to move. Let us join him in what he is doing and see how he will not move among us. And so Heavenly Father, thank you. It still seems a little bit ludicrous that our prayers could do anything in a world so vast as the one that you have created. We see our our limitations, our finitude, our, our weakness. And yet in you, you give us strength. 
In you, you give us a solid footing. In you, you give us a confidence that we could not have otherwise. God, forgive us when we have sought our confidence and our, and our power, our, our, our looks, our, our money, our influence, our accomplishments, our, our neighbors, our, our friends, or, or whoever it might be. Lord, instead, Father, we are thankful that you give us a strength that never ends. That you are a God who never fails. That you are a God who is sovereign and supreme over all. And in you and you alone, we have confidence. And so, Lord, we lift up our prayers to you today. We ask you to boldly move. Reveal to us how we can join you in what you are doing. And, Lord, we will follow wherever you lead us to go. Thank you for the victory that is already assured. Give us the strength to follow you through whatever days lie between here and there. And we will give you all the praise for it. Thank you, Father, for the incredible invitation of prayer through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's your name we pray.